Hi, my name is Becky Duncan. I'm the Cyber Self-Defense Coach and you are listening to Conversations with Pearl. Hello, sunshine. Good to see you again. Had to walk out to let you back in. Stuck in a storm of a relationship. Lost my fire. And you are joining us here at Conversations with Pearl. And I am so excited to have you guys today. I'm even more excited about our amazing guest who's coming to us all the way from New Zealand. And her name is Becky Duncan. And just so you know, she is an amazing best-selling author. She's been featured in Primetime TV on A Current Affair, Campbell Live, That's Life Magazine, New Zealand Herald, News Talk, Radio Live, and Radio New Zealand. Amongst other pint media, this entrepreneur, Becky, she has over a decade experience in digital marketing, communications, and web development. Across corporate, government, not-for-profit startups, she's amazing at startup companies, you guys, and SME business markets. Until recently sold, she was founder and owner of my favorite little parties, and that's the largest kids slumber picnic party styling franchise in Southern Hemisphere with over 10 franchises in Australia and New Zealand. Becky is growing up as a mixed race adoptee in an all white family. So if those of you who know me, that's very dear to my heart. She battled insecurities, lacked a sense of belonging and felt like she didn't have a voice. In 2013, after a business deal gone bad, she survived a very public and vicious cyber attack that started with one man and turned into hundreds of men online. Though she doesn't have the black eyes and the broken bones or the bloody gashes to show for it, the incidents affected her at every level, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Now, after seven years in hiding, she's back, she's armed, and she's fueled by a compelling belief that safety is a fundamental human right and shouldn't be a luxury for women online. Becky, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm great. It's a beautiful day here in New Zealand. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to talk to you and to really uncover some of what we're going to talk about today. So yes, yay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. So cyber self-defense coach. I love that. So um, and I loved you shared too when I was we were talking about the that hunger hunger games online from that cyberbullying. So walk us through what happened, Becky, and what led you on the path where you are today. Let's just delve right into what what happened. Well, um, about look, I've always lived my life out loud online um, for many many years. I'm a serial online entrepreneur. Um, I've had a best selling novel. I've been you know as you mentioned on um, TV, radio. 
and papers all over. So living my life out loud where everyone can see was never an issue for me. You know, I'm quite a vibrant, you know, spontaneous type of person. And I like, and I like the limelight. I mean, I must admit, I do. I like the limelight. <laughs> but what happened is um, about seven years ago, I was developing a new concept, a new online concept. And, um, and I often use like freelancer sites um, to do projects if I need coding or something. Um, so I joined up to this freelancer site. I'd set up a project um, and uh, this one guy, you know, put in his bed and he seemed really good. He seemed to know what to do and how to do it. And, you know, I went through extensive checking him out, checking out his business, all that sort of stuff. But about halfway through the project, he started getting really insistent about me paying him before the project was done. But he hadn't done even half of what was expected to him so I said no because you know I'm a woman that knows how to stand up for her rights as well um, he kept on putting more and more pressure on me and then as time went on it got more and more and more abusive I ended up um, going to freelancer and saying look this guy's asking me for money he hasn't done the work and th they did a, um, a mediation and they ended up siding with me so I just paid him for the amount that he'd done and then um I got the rest of the money back because it was being held in a scrap. You would think it would be over then. Well, no, this guy continued to abuse me, to bully me. And then it, after that, after he lost, um, he got, you know, even worse. And the kind of messages he was sending me um, and email, he sent me through the freelancer side at, at first. Um, again, I was taking screenshots. He started emailing me. I was taking screenshots and I was sending them to freelancers saying, this guy is actually abusing me online. And eventually they did um, kick him off there so that he couldn't actually have an account there um that didn't stop him <laughs> then he found me on facebook and he started creating profiles of my name he was private messaging so he'd go through my friends list and then he was private messaging my friends as me telling them i was a prostitute for 200 dollars an hour he created facebook pages in my name um you know in my business name i must say um with sexually derogative images putting my face on naked women basically trying to really destroy me. and he'd send me emails saying I'm going to destroy you I'm going to destroy your reputation you're going to wish you were dead and you never existed um and we kept on my friends and I we kept on reporting reporting because this this behavior was going on and on and Facebook weren't doing a thing about it they weren't removing him they weren't taking down their pages they keep on coming back saying um this does not go against our you know community standards and we were like what the I mean, this man is, you know, literally victimizing me and, and um, abusing me. And it wasn't until because I've been so active in the media, I had friends in the media and they reached out and said, hey, we want to help. Can we do a story on this? I know this is very personal, but can we do a story on this? And I'm like, you know what, at this point, go ahead. You know, it's already happening all in public. My friends and family already know about it and what he's doing. I've got nothing to hide. Um, so they did a story on it. And it was interesting that as soon as they rang um, Facebook asking for comment, poof, suddenly the pages disappeared and he, the profile disappeared. But then that didn't stop him even then. So then he, start, then he started listing my details on Turkish master hacking sites. Um, 
So suddenly I had this influx of hundreds of men doing the same thing. They were hacking into my websites. You know, just when I'd get one website uh, under control, another website would go down. It was just phenomenal. And I was getting the emails. And it got to the point, like I'm a pretty strong person, but it got to the point where the the, the bullying and the, and the awfulness and atrociousness of what was being written to me in the emails was so much that I knew I had to screenshot them. I knew I had to keep a document because we were dealing with the local police here in New Zealand at the time. But I knew that I emotionally just wasn't strong enough to read one more email that said one more terrible, awful, derogatory thing about myself so I ended up having to get my sister to basically go through all comments to read my emails to screenshot to document and then she put them away in a little hidden file so that um, I didn't have to actually read them because it it, start, it affected me dramatically I retired from offline I went completely silent. I, I didn't even feel safe speaking up or using my voice, even amongst, because I created a new Facebook um, profile under a different name. Um, I have been living under that new name since that event happened. I have not been able to use my real name. Um, and I just bought a very certain uh, number of friends that I really trusted into that profile. Um, but even then, I, I still didn't feel comfortable, you know, sharing anything about my life. I And so I retired from online. I've been in hiding for seven years. It got to the point where I had such bad PTSD and anxiety and panic. I couldn't even leave my own home for years. And I literally, there was like three places I could go. One was the local supermarket, always went to the same supermarket, always had my kids or a friend with me. The other place was a local um, uh, cafe that knew me by name. So whenever anyone needed to meet me, I'd say, hey, let's go to this cafe because I felt comfortable. They knew my name. I knew all the staff there um, and it was a safe zone. And the other, the third place was my church. Um, and but even in my church, I still felt unsafe because there's so many faces there and you just don't know, you know, when you're looking at the faces, who's against me or who's going to try and attack me. So I, I struggled with going to church, but I still needed that connection. So I, I kept on going for, for, for through that time. Now, it's only been in the last uh, so that's seven years. So I started another um, business, which is the kids slumber party and picnic styling business. And, and I got great success. But the interesting thing about that was that I never put myself online. I hid behind the corporate brand. Um, I, you know, like I would never do sort of, you know, face pictures or videos or, or things like that um, because I still didn't feel safe. But what it did do is it actually started healing me to the point where I could go into a different environment. So I'd go into people's homes. I'd always have my kids with me but I or friends, but I'd go into people's homes and I'd set up their parties and stuff. So little by little, I started to heal. I, I had counseling obviously as well um and then what happened is that a friend of mine had a, had a vicious cyber attack too and I remember just thinking this is not right you know this this is just so unfair that my friend is and I, I rose up with a righteous anger about it and that's when I really developed my strength and my backbone whereas when it was happening to me I feel like I kind of curled into a ball and couldn't cope with it I found the strength in speaking out and helping her to get through what she was going through. And that has forever changed the trajectory of my life because I've realized that one of my, um, you know, I guess my, my platforms or one of my um, 
really deep beliefs is that I am here to protect women. And that's why I said, you mentioned before about, um, you know, being a tribute in the online Hunger Games. And that's honestly how I feel like I was the tribute. I went through what I went through, but I went through it with a purpose. And that is so that I would know. And so that that mantle of protection for women online was installed on me because I've conquered that. I've overcome that. So now I'm here and I'm helping other women stay safe online and uh, and being the voice where maybe they can't be the voice for themselves. So that basically in a nutshell, that's 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 I mean, wow. I just, you know, I mean, reading it and then hearing it, it's just like you don't realize how quick it can happen to you, right? Like you don't, we we're online so much and we tell our kids, you know, be careful, but we as adults, sometimes we just kind of like, Oh, la -da, you know, we don't really, we give a different parameter for our children instead of ourselves. Right. And so I think for our listeners, it's really important that those same kind of settings we do for our children, we need to be carrying it to ourselves too. I know last week I was, um, I took my friend's son to the dentist and I'm sitting there and I was actually online taking like a, a questionnaire. It was a disc profile. So I was doing this profile question and answer and all of a sudden my phone is like blowing up. I've got my hairdresser going, Hey, are you online right now? And I'm like, no. And then I have a friend who I met in Canada who for 35 days, we had just finished doing meditation. She was a meditation coach. She's teaching me how to meditate. And she's like, are you online right now? And I'm like, no, why is everybody asking me this? Right. And the person like she screenshot me, she was getting messages from this person who created this Instagram account with my profile and one of my pictures. And they were really like writing, like they were me. It's like, they had studied how I wrote and how I write on Facebook or wherever. And they were writing like me. Cause if I looked at go, wow, that does sound like me. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh. So like I reported it right away. I find you know, what you said about Facebook too, I find that very interesting and it gets really frustrating because, you know, the things that they let go through and the things they don't let go through just frustrates me because, you know, I really think there, you know, there's all kinds of conversations I'm sure that you're having too. And with some of the context you have that there needs to be, they need to be held accountable in some way for the things they, you know, how they promote things, whether it's political, whether it's sexual, whatever it is, because they've got a big influence and, and, and they know it, they can't act like they don't know it. And, you know, people like you, the things that happen, you're not the only one, I'm sure you won't be the last one. Right. So, you know, like we were kind of joking earlier that I think, you know, they know when you're, what we're looking for, because these things pop up and, and for whatever reason they do, because the way we look and everything like that, but they, I think there needs to be some some accountability on their part for some of these things for women not to have to go through what you went through. I, I mean, I, I just can't imagine being in that moment and, and thinking, you know, we think about our kids being bullied, but we as adults, and like you said, how it affect, how it affected you, the PTSD and, and like wanting to close up. And like, I just want to go hide that, that feeling. I mean, I could feel that when you're sharing your story and, and I just, you know, those that are listening, you know, please make sure you check out Becky because she's got some great information. I, I downloaded some of her stuff as well. But so today, Becky, so what are some of the things that you do with women to help them, you know, hopefully not go down the same path? And, and then how is it today for you? Like, is that, do you still have things pop up? 
Yeah, look, because I'm having to use a, a totally new name and I do that, you know, and, and I've just got to backtrack here. My whole life before this happened was under a different name. So my book is under a different name. My media appearances is under a different name. So in, in one respect, I feel like I've lost a lot of my back life as a result of what happened to me but in another respect you know I'm quite excited because I am reinventing myself and I'm reinventing myself with a mission and a purpose that I think is really necessary for today and, and on your story too you know these scammers they are incredible manipulators and I think people think that scammers are just people that have nothing else to do no they can be sitting in your profile you know maybe you've added someone as a friend who has been a friend of a mutual friend and you've been like oh yeah they seem okay I'll, I'll add them in that we us to know this person but how do you know that they haven't been a friend of a mutual friend and they sit on your profile or in your pages for a long time watching learning finding out how you talk you know and they're getting more and more and more sophisticated in how they actually target people by as you in your instance you know then following your friends and using your friends um because your friends trust you so they basically take on that mantle of trust and can talk those other people into whatever they want whether it's money or or anything so i just want to really hone that in today that you know these are sophisticated criminals that uh, could be just watching waiting learning and that is why it is so important to be really careful about especially who you bring on your personal facebook like personal page personal profile um, because the amount of information that you feel comfortable sharing with your friends you just don't know who else is watching that information as well um but sorry i've forgotten your question because I, no, I i just want i want to say something on it um too one thing that i do i'm really um so my facebook page i really just use it it's my personal page but i use it more for my business because I, I'm one of those believers, I don't need to put my personal stuff. I don't need, you don't need to know what I'm drinking and you know, I'm on vacation and things like that. I'll show you after I get back or what have you. But I'm really big about that. And then I'm also really big about if you send me a friend request, I have this standard comment. I'll I'll go PM you. I'm like, hey, thank you so much for your friend request. I always like to know how I'm connected to the person requesting. Hey, can you share how we are connected? How do we know one another? Right. And so if they don't answer the way I feel comfortable, I'll say, you know what? Thanks so much for following me. You know, at this time I'm trying to limit because as you know, Facebook lets us only have so many friends. So I'm trying to really limit, please follow me on my business page, right? Or something. And then that way, you know, it's, it's a little bit more controlled for me. And I do that on Instagram and even with Clubhouse, like right now Clubhouse is growing and you and I were talking before we went on about, you know, how much Clubhouse is growing and we're making great connections and, and what I like you and I were saying too, is that we you can hear the voice on the other side and doesn't mean that they're not, you know, you're going to get some scammers in there, but for the most part, you have a lot easier way of, of checking them and fact checking them. I feel like, cause you know, if I hear your voice, I like you, I'm going to your Instagram and checking you out. I'm, and if you don't have a website or something I can follow you on, then I'm like, eh, don't know if I want to follow you, you know? So, but you know, that's, I love that. So my question for you that what we we're finishing up on um, was, so today, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's sad that you had to go through all of that to reinvent yourself because so many times, you know, I do self-care and so many times you talk about 
you could always reinvent yourself care. You can always reinvent, reinvent putting yourself first, right? But to physically have to say, I have to close that chapter and start anew here. And then with your background, right? Because you're, you're an adoptee and you are an adopted in a, in, with a beautiful family. And, you know, we were talking about earlier about you're, you're raised by parents that are white and you're a mixed race child. So tell us like, Having to go through those are two big things that you've had to go through. Like you, you being raised, and then now you have to reinvent yourself. And you know, we both know. I, I know from being a mom of an adopted child of color, of mixed race color, that the things he goes through. I can't imagine having the the challenges that you have that from being an adoptee, and then this challenge, like bring bridging them together. So, how has that been for you? Yeah. Look, um, I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, so my parents, my, my birth mother, sorry, I'll, I'll start there. Um, she was 17 when she got impregnated and 18 when she had me. Um, and her father was quite um, racist um, and wouldn't accept a black baby coming into the family. So she knew that in having the child, she was going to have no family support and she's going to be all alone. She was a white New Zealander. Um, and she went to the pastor of her church who and said, look, I've got a baby. I really want to adopt it out, but I want it to be in a lovely Christian family. Um, and so that pastor went to, they have things there called ministers returnals, where the pastors all come together from all over New Zealand and they you know, do conferences and stuff. And so he put the word out and my parents uh, were both there. And, you know, it's interesting how God works because, you know, both of them had had words that they wanted to adopt a little black baby, but they hadn't spoken to each other about it. So when this pastor came to them, um, you know, instantly both my parents raised their hand and then looked at each other. It's like, what? You know, and because uh, they thought they were going to have to convince the other person um, about adopting a little black baby. But, um, you know, it just worked out so perfectly. And all of my siblings were real siblings, like, um, you know, blood siblings of, of my parents. So I was the last one and the only one that was of mixed race. Um, growing up, it, you know, it was hard from a very early age. I had this understanding that I'm different, that no matter how I try and act the way I'm supposed to act, um, I'm always just going to never fit in. Um, and in New Zealand at that stage, it was quite a white society. Um, and so every church, everywhere we went, there were just white people, you know, and a lot of the places we lived in my life, it was a very white centric society. So I always kind of felt like I didn't fit in um, even in my family life, there were parts of my personality that were just not like my brothers and sisters. I mean, I was loud. I was dramatic. I was, you know, um, you know, prone to, you know, having hissy, hissy fits and stuff like that. Whereas maybe the others weren't so much because in my family, we were definitely taught children should be seen and not heard. And because my dad was a pastor, there was also a higher sort of standard of how I should behave and, and react. And, um, and, you know, I always got, you know, my, don't get me wrong, my parents are wonderful. I love them and respect them so much. But, um, you know, I always got shushed. You know, it's like I couldn't speak. I was too loud. Even when I speak like now, you know, I would always be told, shh, quieten down. We're right here next to you. But what they didn't understand is my, you know, my levels of speaking and how, you know, vivacious and bubbly. It was actually a part of my heritage, of my ethnicity. It wasn't, um, it wasn't that I was being naughty or that I was, um, you know, just trying to get all the attention on myself. So they kind of didn't understand that part of my heritage. And it was... Um, 
I'll go back a little bit more. Um, so my, my parents were amazing at being inclusive throughout my life. So whenever there would be like an, I remember one day they found out about an African choir that was traveling around Australia. We were living in Australia at the time. And so they made the effort to drive us two hours away to go and experience this African concert with this African choir because they wanted me to know that, I, you know, that this was my heritage. This is who you are type of thing. Um, but for me, I didn't want anything to do with my African heritage at all for years and years and years and years, like, because that was what made me different. So I, I, I abhorred it. I abhorred my skin color. I abhorred the fact that I was different because all I wanted to do was to fit in, was to feel like I belong. So, and so as a way of trying to create that control over my life, I totally rejected any part of my African heritage because I just wanted to be white. And it wasn't um, until I was about, I think I was about 13 years old that I sort of started, 13, 14, I, I started questioning, asking questions about my birth mother and, and about my uh, African heritage. And there was an African pastor that came to our church. And so dad was like, oh, cool, an African pastor, he can stay with us. So, so we had this African pastor in our home for a few days. And it was just amazing just to actually be able to converse and to learn because he was from Zimbabwe. And at that point, I didn't know whether I was Zimbabwe or Zambian because when I was born, they were both linked as Rhodesia. So I could have been from either country. Um, and, um, oh, sorry, Zambian, he was Zambian. So, um, so anyway, he came around and then he he basically gave me an open invitation that when I'm ready, I can go to Zambia and uh, he will, I will be like his daughter and he will have me in his church and I can stay with him and he'll look after me. And so that opens up this opportunity for me to go to Zambia. Um, and, um, and about three years later, uh, when I was 17 years old, I had this amazing opportunity where I went to at Zambia all by myself. I was a volunteer in a school over there in, in one of the slum areas. Um, I, I did, I, I stayed with one of his church members. I was very involved with his church and his music team and stuff. But the funny thing that happened is that as soon as I stepped off the plane, I saw all these black faces around me. Instead of feeling like I belonged, I panicked <laughs> because I'd been so used to living in a culture where there were all these white, you know, and suddenly I was in this culture where there was this black everywhere. And it was like, I, I even then I kind of felt like I didn't belong, you know, so I don't belong in the white society. I don't belong sort of in this black society because I've been brought up white and my thinking and my mindset was very white and the way I speak is very white. But one thing happened while I was over there is that as I developed relationships with people that became my dearest friends in Zambia, I realized that suddenly I wasn't the loudest person in the room anymore. I wasn't the only one speaking loudly and getting excited and celebrating like everyone else. And I realized that the things that I thought were, you know, were kind of setting, like making me stand out or making me different from any, everything, everyone else in the white society were actually just a part of my ethnic heritage and, and my, uh, you know, and, and that was just so fulfilling and just very validating for me to discover that, that it wasn't that I was too loud or, or too vibrant or too, too dramatic it was just that that was a part of who I was that I just didn't understand having been brought up in the culture that I am and then uh, my parents like I said 
they have been so uh, all-encompassing of me finding my ethnicity so that what they actually did is when I was 13, they tracked down the pastor that had originally um, sort of brought up the, I've got a parishioner that wants to adopt a child. And without me knowing, they actually tracked down my birth mum. And she was now living in Australia and had married and had two other children, but she'd just been in New Zealand um, as a part of a you know family trip. So the pastor knew and had her contact details. So mum and dad got into contact with her and she was like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to know, you know, who my daughter is yes you know I've never forgotten her um and so because her parents were still in New Zealand but she was in Australia um she told her parents and so we went we ended up going to visit her parents but she warned dad that you know my dad might not be as accepting of Rebecca as um you know because of these issues but I tell you what I was about I think I was about 13 at the time and within half an hour of being in his house he just warmed my granddad on her side just warmed to me and I was sitting in his lap and he just utterly adored me and it was like a real sort of healing for him I think too to know to have a grandchild that was colored when he's had so many issues in the past years of you know colored people and stuff so so that was just one thing and then a few years later after I'd been to Africa when I was 17 uh, dad thought well this is good we've already found one parent why don't we try and find the other one so he went back to the university we didn't even know his last name my birth dad's last name but we knew his first name and we knew what he was studying at Christchurch University when he had a one night stand with my biological mom um, and um, so he went to the university and he was able to actually find out the last name and then he went to the uh, alumni and said look this is the situation I've adopted this man's daughter we would like to make contact and the university said we can't give you his details but if you send a letter to him through us we'll send it to his alumni address and uh, and they did so dad sent a letter to my father Patrick and they sent it off to Patrick uh, Patrick obviously wasn't living at that address anymore because this is like you know 13 14 15 years ago but his brother still was so the letter did it actually get to my birth father who is in Zimbabwe so I then found out that I'm actually a Zimbabwean um as a result of that I was able to go over there I have amazing relationships with my half brothers and sisters in Zimbabwe and in fact they're all over the world they're in South Africa one even lives here in New Zealand um and and it's been like a really beautiful kind of adoption story of me finding who I am, but in the sort of the crux of the two cultures type of thing. But I was just, I was really lucky to have such loving and, and, and open parents that they were so confident and secure in their own being my parents that they were able to allow these two other people to come in and share the joy of my life as well. So, yeah. That's so, that's so amazing. And so look at what you did. Like you brought these two and, you know, to talk about your biological grandfather and just, I can't imagine that healing that he had and, and realizing, you know, and I'm sure in some ways he had some regrets too, that he, you know, had said to the doc, to your biological mom about what, you know, what he had said about not bringing you home, but look what you've done. You've healed like them and you've brought these two families together. Right. And so, so it's just, it's just amazing. A, a kind of a funny story when you're talking about, you know, the wanting to belong and, you know, seeing, you know, the loudness and the, you know, and um, that's your ethnic background, right? So um, when we adopted Matthew and we were able to bring him home, he's a month old. And so um, 
he, my older son, my younger son came a couple of years later through in vitro. And I remember we had Nate home and he was a baby and we were changing him. And, um, and we really, when I, when I first brought Matt home, let me just tell you that backstory. My mom went with me to pick up Matthew from his birth mom. So Matthew had his birth mom had a family picked out for him, but because she was um, in the middle of a divorce in California, she not only had to sever the rights of the bio father, but she would have to sever the rights of soon to be ex-husband. And so this family that she picked out, which happened to be a mixed race couple, they couldn't afford the attorneys that were going to be needed. So she had two weeks to find a family for Matthew or the state was going to find him, right? So we got the call. We got a fax picture of him over the fax machine because we didn't have cell phones back then, right? And we're like, okay, yeah. So I never ever forget, we're driving down this mountain in San Bernardino, California, and Matt's in the backseat. And my mom looks at me and she says, are you going to tell Matthew's adopted? And I was like, I looked at her and I said, well, now, mom, I think I kind of have to tell him because he is a little different in nationality than I am. And um, when he looks at it, Chuck and I, we are a little different color, right? I'm like, so it was really important for us to make sure he had that secure, like center place where he came from, right? So um, we kept in contact with his biological mom. And at five years old, he remembers meeting her at five years old. We went and met like a Chuck E. Cheese, I think it was. And then, um, but when we brought Nate home and Nate was only a baby, um, Matt was about two years old, maybe two and a half. And I remember having Nate and I was changing his diaper and Matt said, mom, why is he a different color than me? Right. And I was like, oh, this is a great question. Now, how do you answer so a two-year-old can understand? Right. So I said, well, you know, Matt, you are Czechoslovakian and Haitian. So you have two different colors that that means that Czechoslovakian is very white and then the Haitian is, is, you know, very black. So your two colors are mixed together. And that's why in our world, we say, you know, you're a mixed race, you're two different beautiful colors brought together. Your brother, he's, he's Italian and German. So he's white, you know, so, and he was like, okay, he understood that. Well, now the reverse side of that is our youngest one, he had problems like, talking at first right and he he would talk but he wasn't a talker but he used to do this thing where he would scratch his arm right and I would be like why are you scratching your arm to the it was so much Becky that we were going to bring him to the doctors I was worried he had autism or something that's how badly he was doing it so one day they were out we we're in Virginia and they were out snow um playing in the snow and Nate came in and he's just like bawling his eyes out. And this thing with the arm, like he's scratching his arm. I'm like, Nate, you have got to tell me, why are you scratching your arms? <gasps> I want to be the same color as brother. I want it. So he thought he could scratch his arm to be the same color as brother. So it was just, you know, two different points of view on that, wanting to be the same, you know, like we should all this whole world, like look at each other. We are all the same. We have the same thing on the inside. We're just beautiful, beautifully different on the outside, right? And so I just love that that you were able to bring the two worlds together. I just think it's just so amazing. And um, I was telling you before about my son and I, we've actually been talking about writing a book about raising children of different colors or ethnicity in the families because, you know, looking back, like you said, your parents, you know, they drove two hours to bring you to, you know, a place that would give you some connections with the, with the choir, right? It was very important for us too, to have that same thing for Matthew. So whatever we did, I always try to make sure like, 
Easter, whatever the holidays were that he had representation. I, I learned from my girlfriend a little bit about Kwanzaa and things like that. Like I wanted him, you know? And so, um, so, and I always like our adoption groups and things like that. I try to make sure we were in groups that he could connect with. And so, um, but you know, for Matthew, his story is he knows where his birth mom is. His birth mom has not been forthright on who the birth father is. We, you know, we have our suspicions, but we're just letting Matthew do that path on his own. And we're here for him when he's ready. Right. So, um, so I'm, I love your story. I think it's just amazing. And that you have such a love for both families. I think it's just awesome. Um, so I want to ask you questions. I know we're kind of getting near the, the end of our time here, but, um, so the book, The Lighter Side of Large, tell us a yeah. little bit about that book. I love that title. So, so the book, I, I wrote it, like I'm, the, I'm the most romantic. I'm such a romantic buff. And I hadn't had my happy ending. So I wanted to write a novel, but I also wanted to write something that was very true to me and to my life. So it's all about navigating the world as a big woman and, and also as a, as a half, you know, half white, half black. So um, I wrote the book. It's basically, I call it reality fiction because most of the book is all experiences that have happened to me. Um, but I wanted to have a happy ending. So I, I kind of weaved in there a little bit of a love story type of thing, you know, because I just had to. Um, but yeah, it was uh, really, I wrote it as a self-help book disguised as a novel. And, and the, the feedback that I've got from it has been exactly that. They're like, I thought I was reading a novel and then I've learned so much through just hearing your thoughts and how you've been able to grow and 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 stuff and your confidence through it. Um, and so I wrote that. It was it was really interesting. I, I I've always wanted to be a writer. And one day I just thought, you know what? I can keep on thinking one day, one day, or I can go day one. When is my day one going to be? So I came up with a day one and I started writing. So every week I set a goal for myself to write a chapter a week. Um, it ended up taking a 27 weeks, although there was a couple of weeks where it was delayed because unfortunately my adoptive father died, passed away from um, bowel cancer. So I had, a, I did have a couple of weeks off, but I had my girlfriends who were reading chapter by chapter as I write say, don't you dare let your father's death stop you from finishing this book. <laughs> so I, I kind of forced myself back into writing it. I, I self-published it. I put it on Amazon really didn't expect much from it because it was just me expressing myself because like I said before for so much of my life I felt like I didn't really have a voice I felt like I didn't I was sort of living in this in-between of who am I you know am I black am I white who am I so this book was quite lethargic and healing for me because I was able to put all those thoughts into how I was feeling I, I kind of crafted a story where the girl is some part Samoan part white um, but all the same in that I've had being African white um, all came through and into the book so it ended up being a bestseller um, I've been in news um, newspapers and radio and everything for it and then I, I did end up having Harper Collins um, actually track me down and say we, we want you to write for us but I ended up turning them down because what they were offering me was was different to what I was already achieving just by self-publishing. Um, but as I said, when I had this cyberbullying attack, it's like I could no longer 
kind of own the book and I have been thinking about maybe changing the name changing the the you know the name of the person that wrote it and you know to Becky Duncan obviously which is what I go from now and changing the title just so that I could relaunch it um but for me it was it's like a memoir it was like me putting my heart on the pages and just sharing things no bullshit exactly as they were happening to me what I was feeling my insecurities um and yeah I I guarantee have you written a book yet like seriously everybody has to write a book because <laughs> it's such a great and very healing experience when no I totally agree with you first of all I want to I, I I want to say I know you found your voice I mean I I I believe your voice has always been there and I love that you didn't let any of these things that have come up you know stop that beautiful voice you have from coming forward so we all can hear it and receive it um, no, I, I've written, I've, I've written three books, so they're all collaborative ones, but I'm in the process of um, writing one, like I said, with my son, it, it will be a collaborative one too. We want to work with families and share their experience, but it will be our directive, right? The other ones have all been directed by somebody else kind of doing it. Um, and I've got a great publisher. She's amazing. She's in Texas and um, it's called You Impact. So they've been amazing. Um, so really, really great there. But um yeah. So I just, I love, and I love it's, you know, why not write a sequel to it? Right. Like write it. Yeah. You know, well, I, have written, I have actually written the sequel. I'm about two, three, two thirds of the way through, but again, it all kind of happened when all this cyber stuff went on. So it's, it's there, it's sitting on my computer still ready to, um, you know, finish it and launch it. But I just haven't quite got there, I guess. And, you know, life happens and, and my direction at the moment has obviously changed to be about teaching women, protecting women online. But I'm not saying you can't have your, like, I've got my hands in lots of different pots, and I think variety is the spice of life. So I will get back to it. I will. But yeah, uh, no, I, I totally agree. Variety is the spice of life. And I love, you know, what you just said because it so aligns with, you know, we all as women, we put everybody else first. We tend to do that, right? You're a mom, you know how that is. And so I think it's really awesome that you're like going, I have my goals, I have my dreams. And that's what I do when I work with women is like, you need to put yourself first. You need to take care of your self care. You need to be, you know, making sure that you are important guiltlessly, right? Like we are actually, we're doing for anybody who's listening, we're doing a free retreat, April 12th to 18th. It's a self-care retreat online, all via Zoom. It's totally free to come on and join us. And we're going to talk about guiltless self-care, including how to meditate, how to go from the couch to moving, whatever that is for you. And, and really, and, and owning it and, and understanding that you deserve to put yourself first, right? So I love that you're doing that. Just, I think that's just so amazing. So one of the things that I, uh, oh, sorry. Did it... Oh, sorry. So many women don't give themselves the permission to make the choice to, to self-care. So I think that is such an important subject to teach them because, you know, if you can't give yourself the permission to look after yourself first, then you're actually going to be useless to looking after everybody else if you're getting so depleted. So I'm so excited that you're doing that. That's going to be an amazing, amazing. Yes, event. thank you. And it's exactly right. We 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 come in last, and we can't we can't take care of those people that we are putting before us the way we want to, right? So I love that you share that. So a couple of things. So before we close up, I was sharing with Becky before we hopped on that we have these cards. My good friend Carol Gill, she did these cards. They're called Better Questions, Better Life. So you can go to um, BetterQuestionsBetterLife.com and you can pull a card out. There's lots of cards here, as you can see. Um, so there's like my card I put out today. It says, what if I were great? And I know that I am great because I know that God's put me on here to do great things. And I have to work every day to make sure I 
listen internally what he wants me to put out because I already know I am great. But so I'm going to have, I'm going to just kind of go and you're going to tell me when to stop and I'm going to show you the card that's on the bottom. So you just tell me when to stop. Okay, stop. Okay. So Becky's card says, how have I surprised myself? How have yeah. you surprised yourself? Oh, wow. How have I surprised myself? I, and I think it comes way, uh, well, yeah. Um, I've surprised myself, I think, by the strength that I'm now finding coming back online, living my life out loud again. Because seven years ago, like I told you, I never dreamed I would be able to do this again, ever, ever, ever in a million years. I was like, nope, not going to put my life out there, not going to put myself out there ever again, because I get attacked when I put myself out there. Whereas now I'm coming at it with a you know what? I'm here. Scam me if you can. Come on, boys. Bring it on. You know, like uh, the, the way that I have just found my truth, found my validation and, and my voice and my confidence, that has surprised me. And obviously it wasn't overnight. It's taken years to get there, but I never thought that I would get here again. And look, here I am on your podcast. Here I am sharing every day to hundreds of people all over the world, thousands of people all over the world. So I think that's my biggest surprise of late that I'm even here doing this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So the last question of the day that Becky, I'm going to ask you um, because everybody knows I encourage everybody to find their inner pearl to greatness. So we all are this beautiful oyster that's waiting to be opened by us because we all have this beautiful pearl inside. So if you were to say one thing, what is your greatness? What's your beautiful inner greatness that you have that you bring out to the world? Or maybe you just share with your, your children. What would you say that is? You know, I think mine is that, oh gosh, how do I put it? My inner greatness is that I can just bring people together into such a feeling of fun and lightness and you know that's 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 my gift to the world you know I can talk about serious things but I can talk about it in a way that is light and fun and it's not going to depress people as well so I think my whole personality is about just fun and freedom and release and authenticity so it's just that whole fun joy joy that's it joy joy is my gift to the world and I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just amazing. And I, I can feel the joy and everything that you have coming through. So I'm so glad, Becky, you're on today. Tell everybody how they can find you. Where do they find you on social media? Tell everybody where they can find you. Absolutely. Well, I am the cyber self-defense coach. Um, on my social media, I go under Becky Duncan or The Becky Duncan. So Instagram, it's The Becky Duncan. And on Facebook, it's The Becky Duncan. Um, I also have a website, which is cyber self-defense coach. But Defense is spelled with a C because here in New Zealand and Australia, we, we spell defense with a C, um, dot com. So cyberselfdefense.com. Um, I have some great things coming up that I'm excited to share. I've, I've got a, a $27 um, webinar coming up, which is teaching women the five simple tips that they can do to keep themselves really safe online. And I would love to have people there and just to share what I've learned to stay safe online because you know just some simple tips can actually get you about 85 percent safer online than if you're not doing them at all so i welcome everyone to come 
DM me if you've got questions. I, I, I will respond to everyone. I'm just so happy to be here and to be able to help protect and empower women online. I love it. Thank you so much, Becky, for being on today. My name is Pearl, and you've been listening to Conversations with Pearl. And you can find us at wsliving.com. Again, that's wsliving.com, which stands for Women's Successful Living. Have an amazing day, and please go find your inner pearl to greatness. Hello, sunshine. Good to see you again.